0: My opponent declares Rasputina, you're going to see Papa coming right at you. Um, Also, if they have a lot of shockwaves, I might even consider him as a screener unit in the same family as somebody like uh, Frank. I've actually swapped out Papa Loco, puts Papa Loco into Francisco's position, which is horrifying on paper, but had really good success with it, depending on the situation. It is
1: time for another Malafo deep dive, this time into the guild master Perdita and the family keyword. We go through a breakdown of what Perdita does well and where she can be the best picking guild. I guess go through what they consider their core crews and they're not the same. They cover second-level play and things that you'll discover about the keyword that aren't apparent the first time you put them on the table. They also cover how to counter Perdita and the family crew. Stick around to the end because we talk about a little grind your gear segment about uh, discussions we see happening sometimes online in forums and on a weird place that um, can be very frustrating and often um, not good for the game. Sit back and enjoy this deep dive into Perdita and the family. Enjoy.
2: Playing a tabletop strategy game allows you to unplug and test your skills against friends. Every week, Third Floor Wars delivers useful strategies, discussions, battle reports and reviews to tabletop games like Malifaux. If you want to get better at the games you already play or discover the games other people are playing, you are in the right place. Craig and Ray welcome you to the Third Floor and the Tabletop Talk Broadcast.
1: Craig here on the third floor for yet another episode of Tabletop Talk. Now today we're going to do a deep dive into the Malifaux Guild Master Perdita and how the family crew works in Malifaux Third Edition. My guests today are Carl Lee and Jesse Watson. Now you likely know Carl as a prominent henchman out of the UK, who's been doing some great work recently, keeping Malifaux alive by having some online vassal tournaments. Uh, He was also previously a guest on the podcast where uh, we had him come on and talk about what it's like to be a henchman and how to build a community.
2: So Carl, welcome back to the third floor. Yeah, cheers for having me again, Craig. Obviously did uh, an all right job the first time to uh, get invited (laughs) back for a second. Well,
1: that was 40 episodes ago, so don't get uh, too – don't let your head get too big, Carl. (laughs) That's funny. It was a good episode, though. I'll have a link to it in the show notes. So, Carl, we're – let's see, about mid-September right now when we're recording, and uh, you have got a bit of a big online competition happening. Can you tell me about it?
2: Yeah, um, so – I mean, uh, for me, the next sort of event we're going to run is um, like a, we're calling it the UK Super League. Um, so, pretty much getting the UK people together, um, you know, over maybe something like 15, 20 rounds, depending on how many people, um, just, just vying for the top spot. Obviously, um, I helped out one of my locals a little bit with uh, the Vassal World Cup as well. Um, I did the, kind of sweet-talking weird to um, to get some, some prizes for that and, you know, just helped out with a bit of the design work. But, yeah, that's that's kind of my next uh, my next big vassal event, seeing as real-life events just aren't a thing at the moment.
1: Yeah. So let's see. So this is going to be kind of what to put together, uh, figure out who the super friends are over in the UK?
2: Um, yeah, so it's just a grueling, you know, 20-week, 20-game, you know, who comes out top at the end. Um, You know, standard sort of, you know, X amount of points for winning. um, And then, yeah, league table at the end of the season. Um, Hopefully, you know, get the the top players who we're used to playing and seeing um, on board. And then, you know, maybe some people who are newer to to Vassal who picked it up during lockdown or, you know, people who are actually not as often seen at real life tournaments who generally play vassal so just get a, a big mix of the UK guys and just yeah flip some cards and talk some some smack
1: very cool now Jesse is my other guest he's a top player out of the Carolinas conference uh, very well known as one of the top guild players uh, you've seen him in the forums you've seen him talk online about him you've actually heard him here on the podcast. <laughs> We had Jesse on just recently to do the uh, Dashiell deep dive. So, Jesse, welcome back to the third floor. It's good to be back. So when Jesse and I first came on before we hit the record button, I was joking. It feels like ages since I've seen Jesse. And he lives about like four doors down from me, literally, here in North Carolina. But with uh, he's been good about quarantining and so have I. And uh, we just don't see each other, uh, though, Uh, Typically, Jesse, you make it out to the camping trips, Um, but uh, you also seem to have weddings scheduled every time I try to schedule camping.
0: Uh, Yeah, just a few too many people's uh, lives syncing up.
1: (laughs) That's fun. So um, what have you been doing as far as trying to keep the knife sharp as far as uh, playing Malifaux?
0: Uh, To be honest, I took kind of a step back when uh, COVID hit for real. Uh, I'm one of those people whose jobs became a lot busier. And uh, so I just couldn't keep up with the time commitment. And um, so I backed off, certainly on the social media side, but also in games. And I've been trying to get back in since. Um, Still big cheers to folks like Carl that are keeping the online game going and that community. Um, It's been a pleasure, even looking in from the outside a bit, seeing that thriving in some ways and seeing some of the differences. You know, some of the people who... Used to play live that maybe are less of an entity right now, but other people who, you know, playing online is their primary method are now, like, rising up. And we're seeing some differences in opinions and some changes in play, and it's uh, pretty cool to watch.
1: Well, I mean, one of the biggest features of the U.S. Tour was to try to get cross-meta play. And if all of this Vassal stuff has done anything, we've seen some serious cross-meta play. Um, I mean, instead of across the states, it's across the world. Um, So, guys, what we're going to do today is we're going to focus on Perdita and the family crew. This uh, This is a pod I have been really looking forward to because my first Malifaux purchase way back when was family uh perdita was the first box i bought it was the first models of malifaux i painted it was the first crew that handed me probably my first 10 losses um and uh the good news is is that she's much better in 3rd than she is in 2. But we're going to focus on how the family crew works in 3rd edition. We're going to figure out uh, how both Carl and Jesse build their core crews, what are some key tech pieces they bring in based off of the opponent as well as the strategies and the schemes. And then, of course, we're going to find out how to counter the efficiencies of a family crew. So, uh, Jesse, let's pretend someone listening right now has never played against Perdita, has never put Perdita on the table. Maybe the last time they even thought about Perdita was in second ed. What kind of master, what style of master is Perdita now?
0: Uh, Perdita uh, now, and I think forever, and <laughs> working backwards and working forwards, is a ranged threat aggressive master. And um, something I really enjoy when I bring the family to the table is that there is a sense of flavor definitely to the keyword and uh it's the only keyword i play where i have like you know internal audio that kicks on when i activate certain models you know it's it's the the spin of the cylinder on that six shooter for uh dita when i activate her because i know that i'm about to shoot some guys and it's gonna hurt and when she activates she's typically going to remove at least one model from the table and um, be working down down the chart through the enemy list as she goes
1: so Carl, she's definitely a ranged threat, right? And a damage dealing threat, but that's not all that she does, right? She's she threatens in other ways.
2: Yeah, um, so like, like Jesse said, you know, she, the six shooter kind of does load up when when you uh, when you activate her, but you know, there's there's other little bits as well that make the family quite interested and Pedita quite interesting. Um there's clearly a, a theme between them that they're kind of like a not you know almost like a special force monster hunting unit, and um yeah that that's pretty much shown with um aporel so you have know, the family can let another family model take an action once the activation's ended um you know provided it's it's a lower cost, so it's almost kind of like a rank of seniority passing on um you know an order or an action to the, to the next one um she helps as well surprisingly with um with card draw, uh, it's it's a, just a bonus action um, that probably nine times out of ten never got used in second. Yeah, but because she doesn't have trick shoot in staple to a card card anymore. She um, she actually uses it, and it, it ties in quite nicely with um, going going elite with the the monster you know monster hunter sort of theme. So uh, the less models you have, or the, the difference in in models, should I say, between the two crews adds to the card draw, um, which is nice. And then a couple of other abilities, um, you know, she can ignore people's armor and, um, shielded with analyze weakness. So again, you know, she's helping out the family. If you've got a particularly troublesome armored model, um, and yeah, that that kind of is the the, the mainstay of her actions. And then also as well, uh, which catches a few people out every now and again is, um, the ability to shoot scheme markers off from absolutely crazy distance, um, which is always tasty and nice.
1: Yeah. And that's something that we saw a little bit at the end of two, right? When we had that, uh, that gush of uh, new upgrades that comes out, but um, that ability cannot be, You just can't talk about it enough. Um, In a marker-heavy pool, her ability to remove markers at distance and have a threat range of removing markers that's just enormous um, is a big deal. Um, Jesse, I'd be curious, though. um, We know, obviously, from an offensive uh, place what, what she's doing and what she brings. I do want to get a better sense of what keeps her alive, though.
0: What keeps her alive is very much the same thing that makes the rest of her game function. Offensive pressure. Oh, okay. Uh, there are toolboxes in, in, in there. Um, she has, I think, a not-often-use, but can be put-to-great-use uh, ability finger on the trigger that she can drop. For 1 AP, she throws up a 12-inch aura that if somebody ends a charge within it, she can shoot them. If she does enough damage, she cancels the attack at the end of the charge. So that's almost all of the defensive stuff that you get on the Master herself. And that speaks to a lot of the keyword that their, their defense is to shoot you. Right. Is to hit you hard. Um, and as you go through the rest of the keyword, you're not going to find actually a whole lot of uh, defensive abilities at all, you're gonna find base stats, um, and no real baked in healing. Um, they function by reducing your opponent's options, you know, applying that pressure, removing a couple of key scheme runners early on, so that your opponent has to decide, you know, do they want to focus on trying to kill your models, or do they actually want to have the AP left to complete right. their objectives.
1: So I'd be curious, Jesse, in your times running uh, Perdita, how often does she see the end of turn five?
0: If the game's going well, she'll usually ride it out to the end. Yeah. Um, now, where I'll usually lose it is whoever's protecting her. They'll get so frustrated with Francisco playing the lineman in front of her or sometimes Papaloco, that that, uh, yeah, a, a good half of her team might get dropped by a savvy opponent. But there's also a flip point that happens where your opponent realizes, you know, it's it's turn two, turn three, they've lost a couple of models. They have to choose between going hard at killing your team or actually completing their objectives. Because sure, maybe you killed the rest of my team, but by that point, my AP efficiency, plus just having that advantage of uh, some movement tricks, uh, as well as deleting the occasional marker, has kept you from scoring most of your points. Do you actually want points or do you just want to kill my models?
1: How close does that match up to your experience with her, Carl?
2: it's pretty similar to be honest um a, a good deal of games that have gone well uh, you'll see pedita at the end and yeah she's she's pretty happy but um i think for me where the games haven't gone well is when she's dropped early uh, you, you lose you lose that threat power you know the just the sheer killing potential um but yeah sometimes you know you'll get to the end of turn 3 she's she's done her work um, my opponents put in a lot of uh, AP to to try and put her down, and actually at that point now um, they're never going to they're never going to build up the, the uh, victory points difference. So right. if she's going to die, and you know you're still winning because you, you've done the legwork, then uh, that happens quite a bit with me. I think um, one of the, the Vassal World Cup games, um, the last one before uh, Team Scotland got knocked out, she. Um, like tanked Nakima hard for three turns of a game and then finally died. But at Amazing. that point, my, um, my opponent was just, he didn't have much of anything else left and he didn't have the AP to to get anything really. Um, so it's like, yeah, she's died, but she's just been a pain um, and she just took out enough models early on in the game to, um, to make it so he was never going to catch up.
1: Right, right. And that that decision point that Jesse made, I think, is an important one. What were you going to say, Jesse?
0: Uh, Just to emphasize one thing that we're both referring to is AP, AP, AP. Um, This keyword is competing over AP. Like that offensive power and everything, that is the threat. That is the pressure that you're putting on. But that pressure is there to reduce their AP. And your apparel allows you to turn cards into AP. The other uh, key ability they have is Bravado. Bravado, uh, which is when a family member concentrates, they also get a four inch push towards an enemy in line of sight, which means their focus is amazingly more efficient because it yeah. comes with a built in mm-hmm. move. Not to mention all the times that that can trick around movement restrictions and other things going on. Um, so they have a little bit of AP generation where they're t- turning cards into AP, they have some efficiency in their AP, and they're going to reduce yours. They're playing an AP competition game.
1: Right, right. And by eliminating your AP and then having efficiency on their side, um, the times that you've lost her, Jesse, were not situations where you just like, game one against you. Is it a matter of overextending her or p- bad positioning or underestimating? So like if someone's listening and they're and they're finding that they're losing Perdita on a regular basis, is there anything that we can offer them to say, look, you, you, you got to watch out for this?
0: Think like you've got a family. Um, okay <laughs> Nina alone is not a great wrestler uh she doesn't want to be mixed up in melee she doesn't want to be brawling with people unless you put a lead line coat on her her only native defensive thing is a counter hit on getting shot right um so you've got to think about where you're putting her and realize you've got a 12 inch gun use that 12 inches um and if your opponent is going to come out at- come at her with a melee unit that's when you really need to think okay so who's going to get her out of that bind and you've got um two two models right off the top of my head that do a great job of it francisco and santiago both have actions that are explicitly for getting a friendly out of melee combat
1: excellent excellent well guys let's take a quick break when we get back from this break i want to talk more about the models that support her so we're going to talk about both carl and jesse's core crew we're going to learn a little bit more about the other family models and uh, we'll also talk a little bit um, about second masters and upgrades we'll be right back
0: Hi, I'm James Hahn, and I'm a patron of Third Floor Wars because I'm a henchman who loses most of his games, and the podcast has tons of valuable information to improve your play as well as what to expect from other crews. You can support them, too. The link is in the show notes, or just search for Third Floor Wars on Patreon.com.
1: What is it worth to you to get this podcast on a weekly basis? Is it worth a dollar a month? Five dollars a month? Twenty dollars a month? If you'd like to help support the work that we're doing here on Third Floor Wars, please go buy our Patreon. We're at patreon.com slash thirdfloorwars. There you can pledge at any level, any dollar amount. Whatever you give us will help us put out quality content on a regular basis and hopefully make tabletop gaming a little bit better for you every week. Time to give a shout out to our newest patrons. A big special thanks goes to James Kahn, Rage Quit Wire, Deck Roll, Aloy, Robo Rotten, Jacob Suderman, Joshua Hatch, Donald Kroger, John Fox, and David Gadea. Because of you and the 100 plus that are supporting us on Patreon, we're able to put out regular content on a weekly basis. We appreciate it. So I have found every time I do these deep dives that uh, almost everybody I talk to has just the the guaranteed core crew, the hires they're going to have. So if they make the decision, hey, I'm going to uh, you know hire this keyword, it doesn't matter what the opponent's bringing. It doesn't matter what the pool is. They just know there's, there's a handful, one or two, or maybe even three models that will always make the crew. So for you, Carl, I'd be curious. You know... Obviously, you're bringing in Perdita because that's what we're talking about today. I do want to talk about the obvious core crew model, which is the, uh, the totem. So can we talk a little bit about Perdita's totem?
2: Yeah, so um, thankfully, the to- totem got a little bit of a buff in the, um, the erator, which it needed. So it then has um, the card draw at the end of its activation, which is nice in itself. Um, but the, the main thing the totem does, aside from die pretty regularly... <laughs> um, because it's you know, it's pretty soft, but it, it's another uh, it's another avenue for, like Jesse said, uh, AP efficiency. So it's got um, a bonus action to push a model away from it, and that can only be done on a friendly model. Um, and also, if you've got the the tome, because uh, I think it's only a five, if I recall. So if you've got a five tome, then you get um, another focus. So you know, it's and you'll, you'll probably see with how I uh, start to build a crew as I. Continue talking about it that stacking focus is um uh, my route so to say uh, so to speak, and mm-hmm. yeah so you get the push you get a focus and realistically you know you've used a five tome on your um on your totem's bonus action um but it's also quite nifty with him um it's got a really low damage track and a trigger to um increase the stat and put in the mask on its obey uh, and take the action. So there's been a couple of times where, you know, I will terrorize a model, charge it, use a low mask, um, and, yeah, obey my own model, uh, especially with, um, if you was to use a dweller a, a which I'll go on to later, or Jesse will, um, you get a, a bonus to your stat for um, an out-of-activation um, attack if you choose to attack. Obviously, it's also another um you know avenue to do something else whether it's positioning but uh, for me that's that's pretty much what the totems doing um uh, and because uh, it's got black blood um uh, it's staying away from all my other models so it doesn't bleed on them
1: yeah, it sounds, I mean, looking over at the totem, obviously positioning is going to be a big deal just from the Black Blood alone, but also to try to keep him alive because to your point, Carl, he seems pretty soft. So now you've got Perdita, now we've got the enslaved Nephilim. What is what is literally your first hire? What is the number one uh, core crew model for you?
2: People probably disagree, but um, I always take Frank. He's pretty much coming into every crew. Um, he, you know, he gets the... Uh, the l bonus from Pedita, and he usually is staying reasonably close. Um, as Jesse mentioned, he's got the, the ability to help models get out of combat. Plus as well, he's just got a, a monstrous, you know, stat seven. And uh, pretty much my mindset in third edition is attacking with focus with high stats when I need to delete a model. And people are look and say, oh, you know, he's, he's only 245. He's not min free. He's not this, that, or the other. Um, but, you know, he, to me, he's min four because he's always hitting with focus. Um, you know, he's got two good, well, three good triggers on his, his sword even um, in the sense that, you know, he's got family values so you can get um, cards focus uh, on other models. He's got crit strike, like all good guild henches. And <laughs> he's got um, onslaught for more attacks. So you can comfortably, um, if you want to fund it, have six attacks out of rank in a turn because, uh, well, out of his activation because we're not even including out of activation because he's also got Flurry. Um, So, yeah, he's just a a melee machine, but, you know, he has a a standard issue gun as well, so he can um, do a bit of range damage and then keeping him alive um Finesse is is a really good bonus action when he just wants to be in someone's face and, you know, they've got to waste AP um, getting around that negative. Um, and then, yeah, he's got uh, his grit as well for when he gets to half health. He almost gets um, a pseudo armor, essentially. Um, aside from that, you know, his, his stat line's pretty generic for a guild hench. Um, and, yeah, he's just pretty much making it into my my crew every time and every game he plays he just he just does better and better
1: well and i can see that i mean uh, stat seven's no joke right on that on that melee weapon and and you kind of called it out but i want to reinforce this when you're dealing with a model that is going to have focus right and you see this you know all throughout malifaux there are certain models and certain keywords where you know focus is going to be either easy to acquire or an important part of the approach you have to look at the entire ramping of the damage track you can't look at just the min three you have to look at the fact that he's going two four then five and then at the upper end and middle end on the on the uh, gun is also two four five and that's a big deal the other thing i think that's interesting is uh there's no competition uh for that bonus action used to with um you know an old old frank it was kind of tough to figure out what he was going to do with that uh with that zero action but now it's just going to be obviously finesse which i'm sure makes him a real pain jesse what's your experience with uh with frank
0: uh he's great he is uh, maybe ninety percent of the time, uh, not quite every time. But if he doesn't, then he there's a very specific Frank-sized hole that's being filled with something else for some particular counterplay reason. Um, he does wonderful things. Uh, six attacks a turn, six attacks in one activation is not at all unheard of. And people are going to say, "Well, you know, where are you going to get the masks for that?" It's worth the stones. Right, Uh, I start out these lists with a lot of stones and by the end of turn two or three, I'm a lot lower on stones, but it's worth it because you want to get that early advantage and he can just, you know, Wolverine berserker, his barrage, berserker, berserker, barrage away through uh, a unit. Um, And absolutely you want at least that first hit to be using focus every time he can't quite maintain, you know, six focus (laughs) for six (laughs) attacks, but um yeah, often enough you're gonna be hitting for that. Uh I also think of four as my true like men. If I hit for two with family, I I tend to feel bad.
1: Sure, sure. Now Carl, after Frank, who are you hiring?
2: Usually I'm bringing in the the guild steward. Um oh, you know, out
1: of keywords, so going versatile.
2: Yeah, it's just a solid solid versatile model, but it, it plays into the, the building focus. Um and also uh helps with, you know, the, the fragile nature of the family as well. Um because, yeah, farm more of motivation, heal and a focus um, is always good. Nine times out of ten, I'll do that first turn and always flip a, a severe for the heal flip on a model that's fully healed, which is uh, frustrating but typical. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, uh, he's also got a great trigger on uh, Dispel Magic uh, on a mask, um, on Galvanize. So, again, you're kind of getting a bit of work out of, um, out of your low cards because the, the Galvanize uh, trigger will uh pulse a focus to another model. So there's been turns where uh the cards align and between the Nephilim slaves activation and the Guild Stewart activation, you know, a model could have four focus or um you know something quite quite grim like that. Uh, or you know it's split across two models and just really setting up um as Jesse said the what I like to call the min four um because of the focus.
1: Right. So I'd be curious. I mean, we, we're talking about the focus and obviously this helps with it, but Carl, do you find family to be very um, card hungry?
2: Um, yes and no. So they are card hungry in the sense that uh, like uh, beaters or beta oriented models generally want your cards because, you know, you want to guarantee that they hit, you want to guarantee that they do um, good damage. So in that sense, they are. Um but what also because of the high stats um and generally like i said you're flipping on uh on positives there's a good chance that you're putting pressure on your opponent straight away um because you yeah, know you could flip uh, a, a high moderate or even um one of your kind of lower severes and you yeah, have the pressure's already on, and the realistic chance uh, from your attack is you're doing it because you've got the card in hand anyway. So on that rare chance that you flip kind of two low cards, you've got the card to back it up. Um, but yeah, just for me, it's the high stats and the focus combined that if there's anything that eases a bit of hand pressure, um, it's kind of focusing down on those, those big stats. That makes a ton of
1: sense. Now, Jesse, um, if there's a single model of yours that I hate, it's the Guild Steward. Uh Nova of uh 2019 is when I got to meet the Guild Steward and was part of the reason that I ended my incredible run at Nova. <laughs> I told him I know I told him. it was completely my <laughs> fault. You like told me like 10 times and uh, and uh, so listening's hard apparently. But I want to know, do you bring the Guild Steward into a family crew?
0: Sometimes. Yeah. It's not stapled. It's it's uh, not stapled. I I do sometimes bring him. Yeah.
1: So who's – we know that you obviously bring Frank a lot. What's Mm. your next go-to model, Jesse?
0: I'm a Nino fan. Oh, tell me about uh, it. Apparently, that's a big point of argument. Um, Yeah. So here's the reason you bring – two reasons to bring a Nino. First off, uh, he gets to drop after deployment, so you can put him where he's shooting things turn one. And if your game is to put pressure on the opponent's uh, high-efficiency scheme running models early, uh, well – Nino's going to be a good way to do that. Uh, second, and what's really probably more important, long game, is he has the family values trigger baked in. Mm-hmm. And when he hits it, all he needs is line of sight. He doesn't have to be close. So a lot of the family works on six-inch bubbles. Al Parel's on a six-inch bubble. Family values is on a six-inch bubble. Um, as well as key abilities on you know Frank, Santiago, and others. Uh, Nino just needs a line of sight for his auras. And so he can first activation pop a scheme runner, just hit it, and then succeed with a five on a plus flip. Not hard to do. Um, And then use his family values to give Dita an opportunity to focus, which she'll now push four inches up and have focus on her. You know, at that point, I start playing him careful. uh, And that's, I think, the biggest complaint is he's, you know, seven hit points with um, no defenses and often way, way overexposed in his initial deployment. And so, yeah. He goes down fast when the opponent gets to him. I rarely have Nino survive a game. Right. I usually get him to at least turn three or late turn two.
1: And the way you do that, Jesse, is that you hit with him early and then just have him run away? Yep. Okay. Uh,
0: I want him alive for that mid game. I'm not trying to burn him out too early um, because even if he's hanging out in the middle of your crew, just popping models a turn, he is an AP generator. Um, and that's, that's how you start stacking up that focus on your Francisco. It's how you start stacking up your focus on your Perdita. Uh, Cause it's harder, as you already mentioned with Apparel, you trade a card to make somebody of equal or lower cost take an action. So you can trade AP sideways and down, but it's harder to trade AP up. Right. And so the models that can do that, um, I think are pretty clutch.
1: So I'd be curious, Carl, how about you? How often is Nino making your family crew?
2: Yeah, he's in the majority of crews. Um, Very similar to to Jesse uh, in the sense that he can, yeah, add focus up. Um, He also can provide you the the card draw, Um, you know, if if you opt for that instead of the focus. Um, He's also quite a good bait piece um, because people love to go for him um, because he is squishy and, you know, he's the family member that gets um, reasonably bullied. So. Mm -hmm. You, know, you can often use him as a as that um yeah piece that's gonna draw something out and you know, you comfortably uh, comfortably murder it. Plus he's one of those models that just pretty much ignores everything with his gun. Um, you know, cover concealment, which is which is great. Um yeah, he, he makes it most of the time. Um again he he doesn't often survive, but usually when he's died he, he's done his his part for me anyway.
0: But that's also worth – I mean that psychological game of Nino right there is mm-hmm. already pretty valuable. He didn't survive. Well, that means they expended how much effort to go kill your mid-weight, mid-cost enforcer as opposed to going after uh, Francisco and Dita who are really the, the members of your crew that are doing the most murder?
1: Right, right. So yeah, if you if, if, if Nino is pulling them away from Dita and Frank, then, then that's a good trade is what you're saying, Jesse?
0: Yeah, uh, basically, he is a great bait piece and people focus on him early. He's also a great pressure piece. If people know you have him, they're going to be a lot less likely to put up their, you know, low weight model in a position where it's gonna be super efficient at running forward. Like this model is gonna be ready to hit the center line and drop a marker. Oh, crap, they brought Nino, right? Never mind. I'll slow I'll slow my roll a turn with that model and family loves that. So Carl, at this point, has
1: Frank and the steward. You've got Frank and you've got Nino. Jesse, what's the next model that you're going to consider?
0: Uh, So a model that ends up in, you know, I guess my versatile pick uh, for ending up in family quite a lot is the Pale Rider. Now, some people will say, well, obviously it's guilt. I'm not somebody who puts the Pale Rider in everything. In fact, these days, I don't put the Pale Rider in all that much. But family, I definitely like him there. Um, He helps get Dita or Frank usually Dita, into position with his ride with me. Um, and then he plays it safe. And I actually really like his first level, uh, I always call them ultimates, but his first level pulse bonus action um, puts shielded and does healing on your on your units. And we've already established the family doesn't have defenses. Right. You know, uh, Frank and Papa Loco, their defenses trigger when they're at half-life, they get a one damage reduction. So it's thinking of it like 0.5 armor, maybe. It's really what they have. Mm-hmm. Um, but now imagine Frank at that level where he's under half health and he's got that one damage reduction and he has shielded and he just healed for a couple points. That can buy a whole nother turn for these models. And um, I already that six inch pulse coming off of him. I already established, you know, a lot of your is going to be traveling within six to ten ish inches of each other. He can usually hit most of my crew with that. And uh, I find that really valuable.
1: And that's getting expensive, though. I mean, Frank's nine, uh, Loco's seven. Uh, how much is the rider? He's 10, right? He's 11. Oh, he's 11. Yeah, I mean, so so your core crew is getting pretty expensive. Carl, do you play with a Pale Rider as well?
2: Yeah, Pale Rider comes in quite a bit. Um, pretty much for the same reason. Um, you know, ride of Me is just massive because guild aren't the most mobile. Um yeah, you know, having an unimpeded option and the seven-inch move is... Is great, um, you know. Again, ruthless is is something that isn't in abundance um, in family, particularly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, just just getting his uh, when he doesn't ride with me, getting that other bonus off is is great for the little heel. If something's engaged, then the heel goes up slightly. Um, you know, his uh, the one where all the models take the charge is also quite useful um, because you can get the bonus from abuela if she's on on the table um so yeah you know he's he's a good pick he comes in and also if you're uh, if you've not really got the interest or you don't need um his his ultimate bonus to be used you you can drop a couple of Rams and just injure someone because then you're you're really driving home the stat difference you know if you're stat seven and someone's just got injured two on him you know it could be really painful against someone's, you know, good henchman or, you know, one of their, their better models, where you're just hitting them relentlessly, pretty easily.
1: Yeah, yeah. Now you've mentioned her a few times, Carl. I want to talk a little bit about Abuela. How
2: often is Abuela making your crew? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so for me, I, I generally have kind of two main routes of crew, and um, one route where is where Abuela comes in quite a lot because. Um, yeah, you know, I'll be really sort of uh, channeling those out of activation, um, you know, actions. So, for example, um, Nino would be closer to the family because he's going to get Pedita's um, apparel. He's going to get Frank's, and then he's going to be shooting at stat six uh, on positives because of Abuela. Um, and to be honest, you know, she's she's a cheap model. Um, you know, there's there's nothing massively special about her except for. Um, you know the the bonus for out of activation, but then also her bonus action itself is is useful in the fact that you know it's an obey, um, mm-hmm. and it, it benefits you targeting a family model. So yeah, you know, it's another avenue for um, focus. It's another AP trade of you know a five stone model for potentially Frank at nine or Nino at seven, um, and that's pretty much what she does. Every now and again, something will get close and she'll shotgun and wheel off, which is always quite funny. Um, it always makes me laugh if she does some crazy damage, um, which she has done a few times. But more often than not, you know, she just kind of mills around at the back. Um, kind of like, a, a, you know, one of the, the small cogs that keeps the machine running, for me anyway. How about for you,
1: Jesse? Does uh, Abuela make your cruise? I mean, she's cheap at five.
0: Yeah. If I'm running, um, keyword heavy and I'm not trying to tech for any particular reason, like, you know, sometimes you just need to tech a bit more then Abuela is often one that I'll look for, uh, in the same cost range as somebody might throw in an extra minion, I'll take her. Uh, and it's the same thing. She's running support in the back line. Um, I will feel like I'm sort of puttering with that sort of that second AP is often what happens. Um, but her bonus, you know, Often eight, I can trade up to Frank for another AP. And he'll be swinging, you know, he'll charge in on something and be stat eight. So, yeah, it feels pretty good. <laughs> I bet
1: it does. Um, so, <laughs> no. she,
0: yeah, she's often hanging out like in the bushes or with some extra protection near, but not in the family. It's also worth noting card expensive, but Operel can trigger a bonus action. Oh, okay. So that bonus Obey that she has means even a Nino, who normally would have to trade to a seven cost model or down, can discard a card to go to Abuela. Abuela can then use her bonus to Obey anybody short of Dita herself. Nice. Is it expensive? Yes. Should you do it every turn? No. But there will be some moments where that will be an amazing switch play. That'll
1: be the play, right? Now, how about my buddy Santiago? He never, ever seemed to be good into. I love his alt model. Um, it's one of my favorite alt models in all of Malifaux. Does he ever make the table, Jesse?
0: He makes He's the table. He's expensive. In, it, he is. He is. Um, for me, he makes the table in basically two scenarios. One, the opponent's condition heavy. Okay. You know, it's going to be somebody who's going to light everything on fire, things like that, because he brings sober up. So he's another focus generator, but it stops very quickly because, you know, you slap focus on Perdita. She doesn't have any other conditions. You can't sober her up anymore because you'd be taking the first focus off. And the TN's not great on it either, uh, unfortunately. But um, so he'll help with, you know, if you need to be counter conditioned. I really like him um, when I need a ball carrier. So if it's in uh, ley line, I think he's great because he's still useful. While also having, because he's got deadly pursuit for four inch push, um, and you know a five walk, but with that deadly pursuit, and you know uh, sober up, he's still helping your line while carrying the ball pretty decently. Um, eight wounds, no defenses, and that's you know the biggest problem to him is you're paying eight stones for something that's going to die to a an ugly sneeze. Um, but again, that midline. but it, it really requires that your front line is doing its work.
1: Right, right. How about for you, Carl? How often does Santiago
2: make it? Um, rarely these days. Um, I I, I tried to give him the time, and I really want him to be good, um, or better, because uh, you know, the the first time I looked at him in free, I thought he, he looks like he's going to be useful, and then it, <laughs> it's that model where you put it on the table, and he looks like an easy bully victim for your opponent. Um and so I, I always kind of look at it how how will my opponent or how would I um target prioritize my own crew if I was playing against it. And uh Santiago is just often the weak link. And it might be that, you know, you can like like Jesse said, he he wants to play behind your um forward runners, those aggressive pieces. But sometimes, um, or particularly the way I play, my my family usually is I like one more person up there helping Frank and Pedita. Um, I, I don't think Santiago is that far from being really workable. Um, it just needs a few things. So his stats marry up with his grit ability. And, right. and then he fits thematically because... You know, he wants to be the person soaking up the damage of a bit of a tank and then the one who goes crazy when his his grit triggers and he just starts murdering things. But realistically, uh, when his, his grit triggers, he's about to die. Um, and every game where I've kind of used him, he's all, he always seemed to just go before he was about to get going um, right. and about to be useful. And you know, that could... Obviously, partly beyond where I've played him, where you know I've maybe misjudged um, his impact that turn. But at the same time, I've done that because he's needed to step up at that moment. Um, and yeah, usually he just gets murdered. So anybody, oh, go ahead, Jesse.
0: No, just saying um, that's why he does not make my standard list. I've got to have mm-hmm. a particular reason to bring him. Same problems.
1: Anybody listening to this is going to wonder are there minions in a family crew (laughs) because we have not talked about a single family minion but there's a couple of them in there so jesse i mean did the monster hunters the pistoleros i mean do we ever bring a family minion into the into uh, a family crew
0: i like the monster hunters (laughs) <laughs> uh here's what you have got um for guild the monster hunters are uh really really fast they've got creep along and deadly pursuit as well as a five you know uh, a five move they're they're going to travel the board really well um so if you need if you're staying in family keyword and you need to go deep behind enemy lines um they're your way to go honestly um they're they're gonna be your most reliable to get back there the struggle is you're you're here and you're picking off scheme runners to try and make the AP efficiency go to your advantage. Well, here's the scheme runner that the enemy can easily pick off to make the AP go to their advantage. Um, because there's six wounds and no real defenses. You've got to play careful with them, um, which is the same game that comes with, comes up with the Pistoleros. Four wounds, no defenses. Reckless means they can take a hit and get three AP. On paper, that's an amazing amount of AP. You have a four stone significant model, but you've got to find a way to keep them alive. And yeah. so for both of these models, I really have to look at the board and go, it's like, do I have a path where these models are going to be advancing to a place where they're going to be useful without just getting picked off? Um, that combined with a design in the family that already, in a number of ways, rewards playing Elite. You know, you're getting more AP out of your models with things like Apparel and the higher cost the model, generally, the more valuable that AP is. And so as you get smaller and smaller, you're, you're trading for less valued AP and you're running the higher risk of just being picked off, at which point I go, you know, would those four stones be better put somewhere else?
1: So I'd be curious, Carl. I mean, are, do you do you drop scheme markers at all with a family crew? I mean, uh, or do you just not bring family into it? Or, or like do you have scheme runners? Who runs schemes or don't or do you not worry about that when you're running family?
2: Um so usually I will avoid dropping as many scheme markers as possible. Um and we'll probably go into it more obviously when when we go to the, the scheme breakdown. Um I like I find when I use uh when I use family, I don't and massively score highly. Um, you know, it, it's it's very much denying what they do. So you know, you'll, you'll whittle them down. You'll make their AP really strained. And like I said, if if necessary, um, you know, if the the, the scheme dictates that I need to drop markers, then uh, more often than not, it'll be the pale rider. Um, Got it. Just because of how maneuverable he is. Yep. Um but. And as well, particularly the, the way I play, um, like I said, if, if I've the plan's gone well and the majority of their models that I've needed to kill to cripple them AP-wise are gone, then at that point, any model can step up to drop the marker that's needed. Um, you know, I, I hopefully punch the way through their middle. Uh, you know, say if it was a, a sabotage, for example, and you need to, to get there, you've punched the way through and then you're quite safe there. Someone's tying up. threat and you you know whoever it needs to be is dropping those markers
1: that makes it that makes a ton of sense you know what i I hadn't even thought about but the pale rider solves the problem that jesse talked about which is you know if you do need some scheme runners why not use the pale rider because because he'll survive and lord knows he can get to where you need him to get to um now Jesse, let's be honest. I could do an entire podcast on the greatness that is guild upgrades, uh, but let's narrow it down a little bit. Um, you are well-documented as being somebody who uh, is a little bit critical of the uh, options that you have. Do you ever use upgrades with this crew? Uh,
0: yeah. Lead line coat. Yeah. Typically. Standard. Typically. I mean, I've already established uh, that I'm, I'm relying a lot on just a couple of models to do a ton of work. It's, it's worth putting the lead light coat on on them for both the positioning and the armor. And that's going to be Dita and Frank. Sometimes that second coat drifts to somebody else. It depends on sort of my read of what the opponent's going to throw at me and things like that. What I, what I'm guessing is going to happen. Um, but this is, this is one of those times I, I'm going to bring the coat. Otherwise, um, not so much. There was some beautiful combo that used to exist with no prisoners and monster hunters. Two monster hunters and no prisoners um, chain obeying each other to run and gun all the way up the board. That doesn't exist anymore. Um, And so the biggest... Gimmicks that you get out of things like No Prisoners now um, refer to first off having a minion doing the action, which we've already established is less likely. Um, and second involves putting somebody into melee, which we've already established is often not what we want. Right. Um, so I don't, Leadline Coat, basically. Carl, are you the same
1: as far as upgrades?
2: Yeah, pretty much Leadline Coat. Um, two in every list most of the time. Um, sometimes it, you might drop, um, uh, I forget what it's called because that's how much I use it, the one <laughs> um, where you can ignore armor on a tome. Sometimes Nino Expert might get yeah,
0: something.
2: Yeah. something like that. But again, you know... It's two it's, stones. It's two stones. Um, I could just... That usually I'll use Pedita for Analyze Weakness um, on that rare opportunity where, you know, there's a model with the armor, analyze weakness, and then the whole crew can can go to town on it. Um, so, yeah.
0: And, you know, that's but, actually something – oh, I'm sorry, I cut you off.
2: No, no, no. It's so, okay. I was going to say um, I, I think maybe once or twice I can probably recall taking Expert Marksman. And, yeah, I can't remember the last time I did. So
0: Yeah, Expert Marksman is tempting because it relies on a tome to get that armor piercing, and Nino has a baked-in tome. So it's tempting, but I, I want to use that tome for family values. That's why he's here. He's not here to right. kill things with his two, three, four gun. Mm-hmm. But uh, something I want to underscore from that, you know, why not take that? Well, because Dita already has Analyze Weakness. Uh, and, and it's something I don't know that we quite got from our first walkthrough, but um, Dita has a really deep toolbox to work with of optional you know not not every game use abilities but things like analyze weakness you know i i haven't used that in the last couple of games but then you know i ran him against ran her against hoffman a little while back and you can bet i used that mm-hmm. um and that's a toolbox that not every master gets some yeah. masters are much more like i do one thing it's all i ever do and you know or even you know more bifurcated like i can go left i can go right that's all i do yeah well perdita actually has a lot of flex in how you could play her. Um, most of the time, I'm still shooting things, but it's nice to know that I can switch how I'm going about it.
1: So I'd be curious, Jesse, with that versatility, does she become a potential hire? Um, so do you find yourself running other keywords and maybe bringing in Perdita as a tech piece?
0: So in the metas where you can have Dita as a second master, um which I think Carl has already established you don't do over there.
2: Nah, blanket ban in the UK. So Carl
0: and I ch- chatted about this like so Dita's second master and we're both like uh yeah Nelly I would also throw in Lucius um mm. because what she becomes at that point is an amazing 16 stone beater and you will be able to juice her hand with both Nelly and Lucius Oh right also think about that hero's gamble where you're going to wash your hand out you know you're going to discard whatever you have and get that many cards back okay well add that with arcane reservoir It also gets boosted if you have fewer models than your opponent. Okay, well, if you're bringing a second master, that's going to be likely. Um, So now you've got Dita shooting with a stat 7 gun, and she's going to have a better hand than her opponent every time. But there's also other little combinations that you can start to get. For instance, um, some of her secondary abilities become better when she's a second master than when she's the primary. So I already mentioned finger on the trigger. This is an ability that lots of Dita players just never use. And it can be used in a way that's a waste of time. Because if you spend one AP to throw up an aura that's counter charge, your opponents can choose not to charge. Um, Or they can charge Dita and end up locking it down for every other model. There are ways around it. Uh, And so it's less valuable. Mm -hmm. But now imagine that in Nelly list, where Nelly has a trigger to make an opponent charge. Okay. So Nelly's going to hit them for a bit of damage, force them to charge, and then Dita's gonna shoot them. And since you're controlling the charge, you'll trash, you'll throw away that, you know, really low card to make sure you hit them as hard as you can. Uh, Also in the Lucius list, he can bring in changelings. And so we've already talked about target practice being really good. But again, what always hurts me about target practice is using it on a master. That's a master AP. That is a clutch like once or twice when it's just exactly what you needed to cancel a scheme ability. Well, now bring in a changeling that can use that ability, right? You're trading a four stone models, AP to use that instead.
1: Also, again,
0: Lucius is going to be able to move you around just fine and juice your hand
1: interesting very very interesting well guys we're going to take another break when we get back from this break i want to talk about when we see the family hit the table so we're going to talk about what are some of the ideal pools that um, make uh Perdita a candidate uh, for the table we'll also talk about uh, some of the schemes that the family excels in we'll be right back howdy friends craig here you deserve a new playmat. Here on the third floor, we use mats by Mars. They are scratch resistant, waterproof, wet erase marker compatible, almost free of glare and lighter than neoprene. Mats by Mars gives you over 40 designs to choose from. You pick a mat, pick a design, and then you pick an overlay, like one for Marvel Crisis Protocol, Star Wars Legion, or even Malifaux third edition. Those overlays will really speed up your deployment and make the placement of objective markers so easy. Use our promotion code in the show notes to get a 10% discount on your first order. In the notes of your order, you can even request the third floor logo on your mat for free. That makes the best mat in the business even a little better. So get some new mats. Save yourself some money and help support the show. Go to matsbymars.com. All the details are in the show notes, including the discount code. You know, Guild has a bad reputation, uh, justified or not, um, to be struggling, um, you know, from, on a power curve. But um, I got to tell you, as somebody who's played against Jesse um, and, and has seen some strong Guild play, Guild has good masters. Um, uh, Nelly is legit. Daschle, legit. Uh, Daschle may be one of the better masters in the game, period, especially since the errata. So I'd be curious uh, for you, Carl, what are some of the strategies where, you know, potentially Perdita is going to win out against the other guild masters? um, Is there a particular strategy you think family does well in?
2: Yeah, um, obviously she's workable into most of them. Um, But if I was to to really drill down um, ones I particularly like her in, Um, generally recover evidence is one I take her in quite a bit um, because you know that most likely they're coming to you because if they're a melee orientated crew they've got to get there to kill your models and to drop the markers Um, what I also quite like about her in that is uh, depending on how you build the crew um, you can make it so the five markers are on quite difficult models to get rid of um so you know they are definitely on yeah you know sorry where they are going to be um and your opponent is going to have hell to try and get them um and like i said at that point they're just having to come towards you which plays really well into um obviously pedita just blasting whoever steps into a line um you know, and then chaining off onto the others. So, recover evidence is is particularly one that I will generally drop her into. Um, and a lot of people probably disagree with this, um, and it, it's actually public enemies um, for a similar reason. And it, it's this will she will gain uh, my pick over a different guildmaster in this, mostly depending on the schemes that accompany it. Because if there's schemes that again force your opponent towards me, um, and don't force me particularly to go to them. Then you just uh the encounters provide in a killing field where they have to just trace across the board, getting peppered full of, you know, horrible stat seven Pedita shots <laughs> to be then met with, you know, Frank, um Fiona, who I didn't mention, who pretty much makes the really high end elite crews um, because of the durability. And yeah, at that point, they're just hitting, you know, like I said, they've been her and then they're hitting a brick wall of melee goodness. Um, and, and yeah, those two particularly. Um, but I would I'd definitely say she's got to play in in the majority of them.
1: Well, that gets to the toolbox nature that we've been talking about. How about for you, Jesse? When do you, when does Perdita win out and become the master you pick?
0: Uh, so she's one of my favorites for ley lines because I really love to hunt ball carriers with her. Um, That, you know, popping the model on the backfield that they're depending to carry the ball throws off their efficiency so badly. You know, first off, whoever just caught the ball now needs to get into position or throw the ball to somebody else. And their entire formation can often fall apart, even in the first turn, just trying to sort that back out, which keeps them at range where it's fish in a barrel, where you're just going to keep shooting them. Um, so I think uh, that plus they have enough movement tricks um, that they can, you know, handle their own getting to where they need to be. Again, they don't need the AP to drop the marker. They just need to be in the right place um, for that strat. So I like it there. Um, I also enjoy them for certain aspects of recovery. definitely. Um, the trick that really just makes it in my mind is, you know, so you have somebody like Francisco engaged with an enemy target. Dita kills the target. They drop the marker under Francisco's feet. Right. You then operate to make Francisco pick it up. You don't have to get the exact model into that position because often in recover evidence, you know, there is an AP wasted just getting to where you need to be.
1: So I'd be curious for you, Jesse, with with ley lines. There's no question I can see her as just as, as her. I mean, the whole crew is disruptive. Right. Because you really ley lines. Most people walk into ley lines saying, you know, here's my playbook. Here's how I'm going to get the ball from here to there, turn one, turn two, turn three. And if you mess that up, then you're going to, and I know this firsthand because I have it to me on this live stream, it, 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 everything crumbles at that point. What I'd be curious to know is what's the playbook for family though? How is family scoring um, lay lines? Who are you using to carry the ball? Are you just taking, or is that four inch push enough?
0: So if I'm, you know, keep it within the family themselves, again, Santiago's a decent backfield ball runner for getting those three in the back. Uh, That fourth, mm, that's a late game, maybe. Um, The rider is another decent one, um, if need be, because he can, you know, ride Dita up. And then if you don't want to leave him in the middle, which I wouldn't recommend, he can easily get back and, you know, tag the marker that he needs to tag. Um, Though that somewhat limits his turn, too. Uh, you could also use a monster hunter if the table's pretty full. Monster hunters can get around just fine, um, and there are a number of other you know, sort of out-of-keyword options for that. But generally, getting you know at least the three points for that strat, not hard.
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of people, when they play Ley Lines, they're playing for three. Uh, anyway, um, at least that's what the plan can be. How about schemes, Jesse?
0: What are one or two schemes that uh, really uh, family loves? Uh, Vendetta can be one of their best. Uh, the risk they run is on a Vendetta table, they also provide a lot of options. Um, but if there's a Vendetta in there, um, they find a mid-weight model or a henchman, something like that, they reduce it, and then at the end of your activation, you Apparel into a friend to kill it. Nice. And so that's just, it's a nice, smooth, like, I've confirmed all of that, and then whoever was your Vendetta target uh, for your team, you just you know play them back, play them careful uh, from then on out. Um, And so basically, yeah, the fighty ones are going to be more to their advantage. Um, Whereas I will say if the scheme was more of a threat, they'd actually be somewhat threatened by runic binding. Oh, Okay. There's a, there's a chance you could catch them with it once. But then after that, I mean, really that's on the Perdita player to just be paying attention, but there, because there's that tendency to have, uh, you know, a couple of clumps, that's what runic binding is designed to hit is teams that are using bubbles. Um, But, Really, you you just need to have your eyes open and target practice away the the markers, if that's a problem.
1: How about for you, Carl? What are some schemes that you uh, are just tickled to see if you're running family?
2: Uh, Similar to Jesse. You know, Vendetta is a great one. Obviously, uh, anything that um, benefits a crew that's going to deal damage, so uh, let them bleed, um, is is really easy to do because, you know, you are just by virtue, deleting models um, with with this crew provided, you know, you're you playing it uh, to its optimum. Um, I quite like Leave Your Mark. Um, same reason as what I was saying before, you know, just delete a couple of models where it becomes uh, quite hard work for your opponent to have AP. Uh, punch through, so then they've got to chase those models that have now broken through and then one model just rolls up, you know, scores it, turn three, and then you can spend Turn four, setting it up for the end game, or uh, you know, even you know, a, t- a turn later if you are really pushed. Um, so that also um, similar uh, approach for claim jump is, is something that I'll go for, and then um, take prisoner as well because, yeah, again, if you just you can kill enough where they don't have the models to be close to the take prisoner target, um, and again, I use Fiona quite a lot, so she can just. Uh, you know, bring them in once you've once you've cleared stuff. Um, and yeah, those are those are my kind of go-to sort of picks for Pedita.
0: That's interesting to me because um, I I wouldn't play some of those, but I'm also not bringing Fee. So that right there <laughs> is sort of that difference in play styles. I rarely in any list, even actually almost never bring her in Nelly either, um, but I just don't bring Fiona much. I don't think and play that way. So when I look at things like claim jump and even to a degree, leave your mark, I'm like, ah, that requires me to be in one spot. Mm-hmm. And I'd rather take advantage of some of the mobility tricks that we have and the range advantage that we have and not commit myself to a single location. If you're bringing fee though, well, that's a different mentality. Um, yeah. I like it. Carl. I'll
1: be curious though. Like, so is Fiona coming in instead of Frank or are you bringing Frank and Fiona?
2: Both. Um, wow. yeah. Wow. I mean a, a lot of the time, um, so probably in the last few mm. games I've I've used Pedita. Um yeah, it's been um Pedita, Frank with leadline coat, Fiona, um, often the pale rider. Wow. So it's it's really elite. Um and then yeah, Guild Steward. Um and then you know, probably one more model at that point. That that's if um like I said, the pool allows me to drop. Um, Nino and Abrella. Sometimes at a push, um, I'll drop my Soulstone cash and have both of them in and maybe drop um, like one of the, you know, the other cheap models. Um, but yeah, it, it all very much uh, de- depends on on the pool. But um, yeah, Fiona for me is a, a really great pick just because um, she's, she's not fragile. Uh, you know, she's got the inbuilt armor. Uh, she's got high defense. And there's also some... Um, really quite filthy plays with um, bring it and also her bonus action, which is quite possibly one of the most AP efficient actions um, in the game. If you've got that low, low mask, Um, but low masks are a bit of a, a battle in, in the family crew at times. I'm sure. Yeah.
0: The number of times I've missed that ability and it only needs a two. You need it too, and the number of times I've missed that ability is ridiculous. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it was, uh, oh, sorry, Craig. Uh, it was, no, it was super clutch um, in one of the uh, in one of the games I played, where um, my opponent charged Nino, and Fiona was kind of babysitting him. So she takes the hit, which placed him her, her on the other side, obviously next to Nino, which put her in range of a scheme marker. So she got the uh the positive to defence, well, to a duel, should I say. She comfortably just shrugged off the attack. Um, then she disengaged, pulled Nino out, um, you know, shuffled him off towards a, a symbol, then charged back in and murdered the model. It's it's a super rare play. Um, but it was one of those when it happened and, you know, all the, the numbers aligned and I was like, This is gonna work. It was just It was just so nice.
1: (laughs) That's funny. So, Jesse, I'd be curious. um, If I'm playing against family, right? So my opponent declares family, and I look at the scheme pool, are there any schemes that I should just consider dead schemes? Are there any schemes I should definitely not take if I'm going up against Perdita? Uh,
0: I would be cautious of things like catch and release. Because you're you're relying on a lightweight model to, A, survive getting into position, and then B, survive any longer after that. And this is a team that's going to be able to hunt you down and kill you. We literally have hunters, monster hunters mm-hmm. in the team to come and find you mm-hmm. and kill you. Um, and so, you know, that would be a bit of a gamble. Um, and... Uh gosh. Uh, off the top of my head, also, I would look at, uh, even though I said leave your mark can be uh, a difficult one for them to do, things that require you to put scheme markers in very precise locations. Again, you know, they're going to be able to see what you're up to, target practice that mark that marker away, and then put a Frank, or if you're bringing a Fiona, put a Fiona in that area, and then just laugh at you the next time you come to try.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Carl, are there any schemes that you've had picked against your family crew that was a mis- it was a mistake?
2: Um. Yeah, similar ones. You know, um, anything that wants to play in Pedita's fret bubble, um, you know, that's that's just a, a no-no for for your opponent. You you pick that, and you know, you you may as well say I, I don't want to score that. Because um, as soon as you get the sniff of it, basically, like <laughs> just you delete that marker, and then you put your your horrible wall there of Fiona and Frank or you know frank and santiago a few inches behind him and just say you know again walk into this horrible hail of bullets and, and things will not your day will not end well <laughs> <laughs> it will well, end. Guys, <laughs> right
1: <laughs> so guys let's take another break when we get back from this break we're going to get to my favorite segment which is second level play as well as weaknesses and counters we'll be right back There are so many online retailers. It can be hard to find one that is trustworthy, has great prices, along with some reliable customer service. On the third floor, we love ordering our gaming goodies from Gadzooks Gaming. Their selection of terrain, miniatures, dice, custom decor, and conversion bits are curated for gamers by gamers. You'll find they have what you need and what you didn't know you needed to take your gaming fun to the next level. If you mention Third Floor Wars in the cart notes of your order, you'll also get a free gift. And you'll help support the podcast. Check out gadzooksgaming.com and mention Third Floor Wars on checkout to get that free gift. So in the second level play segments, what I want to do is I want to find out from the guests, um, what did they uncover after getting several games in with the keyword? So there's some obvious things about family, you know, obviously the movement efficiencies that we've talked about, the, uh, the fact that they're shooty. But I'd be curious to know, Carl, after you got maybe your 10th game in, or your 15th game in with Perdita, was there something else that you figured out or something that you had to master to really maximize the value?
2: Activation order. Um, is is really key. If you're wanting to maximize your AP through, you know, app or L, through meaningful, uh, you know, bonus actions, i.e. from um, Abuela, or, you know, if you've brought in another model that can can give you those out of activation uh, actions, you, you want your order of what models go in when to be spot on. So then the action is the most efficient possible. And I think um, a lot of people get caught up on, you know, big model, next big model, you know, and then they're trickling it down that way. Whereas sometimes actually you don't want Paddy to, to go first because like I said, you know, she needs to watch in case a market gets dropped and she can just shoot it off. Um, or sometimes, you know, you, you don't want Frank to go just yet because you need them to extend a model so he can go in and, tank it a little bit um and be healed back up so you know it might be that a, a different models going that is is almost a throwaway action and um particularly with with how i play um sometimes as well Pedita doesn't want or doesn't always want should i say the first activation um or the, the crew doesn't because you want to see what you know you want your opponent to get into that position where you can and meaningfully delete a model while using you know, as minimum AP as possible. Um, so yeah, you could win initiative and, um, you know, activate, move, but then you've only got two shots. Whereas actually you, um, what comes from those games is uh, your opponent get, you know, you give that initiative over and your opponent has to come to a certain area that you're going to be, um, you know, safely guarding and, overwatching with guns and at that point you know you've uh, you delete the model and then you've still got that ap um and yeah those are the, the things that started to appear as i played more and more games so I, this brings to mind something I, I
1: meant to ask about earlier um we're talking about a very elite crew um you mentioned um letting other models activate um are I would imagine you're getting a good bit of pass tokens every turn. Do you find yourself, Carl, using the pass tokens to actually pass activations with family or to save up and, um, you know, win initiative?
2: Um, In terms of actual pass tokens, you will probably only get them turn one, maybe turn two, because if your game plans go in the right way, um, you will have removed... The difference in models, um, okay. So, uh, yeah, as an example, I, I played um, a real life game last week. Um, before, get out of here, yeah, before um, our area entered another lockdown. Um, and in turn one, I, uh, I managed to delete two models um, with Pedita. Um, and yeah, at that point, we evened model count, he went from nine to seven, and I was on seven. Um, wow. So, you know, but the pass tokens um, just didn't exist from turn two. And then actually (laughs) the the reversed and, you know, it just got more and more brutal. But yeah, if I I, I generally don't pass um, in those early turns unless um, I'm 100% sure that by passing, I will be able to kill a model.
1: How about for you, Jesse? What did, what did you figure out about family once you got your reps in?
0: Resource management. How so? Um, so this is one of those crews that has a use for every card in your hand. And you can run yourself right out. Um, for instance, you, you just have to have certain rules of thumb like this card in my mind. I've slated this card for an operel. And I've slated this card for making something land. I've slated this card for that. Uh, You always want to hit moderate for your damage to be meaningful. Well, that means you need to have at least a a moderate in your hand to confirm that. Uh, So very quickly it becomes, okay, so if you've got a severe, that's for confirming that things hit. Right. And then moderates become your damage. And I've seen some people is like, oh, well, I'm going to drop this 13 for damage. I'm like, that's usually not the right call. It's a difference of one point. Yep. between moderate and severe it's generally not the right call to go with um but it can be tough because you have a lot of resource exchange going on when you're dropping a card for an apparel, um, you also have family values where you have a choice you know do you draw a card or do you focus and some people i've seen will sort of be on autopilot about that but as i played it more i started on autopilot i was always focus. but as i played more i'm like you know actually I need to count and think ahead on where every card in my hand is going. And sometimes the card's the right choice instead. And so getting to that point where you're comfortable thinking about, and this relates to the positioning, uh, it relates to also your activation order, thinking what your plan is for each model coming up and what resources they're going to need to use um, is going to be pretty important. Who who gets your severes that turn? Things like that.
1: So I would be curious to know, Jesse, um, what is something someone can bring to the table or do on the table that's going to ruin your day as a Perdita player. So what is what is Perdita afraid of?
0: Hard to wound is so bloody annoying. Oh, I could see that. Um, so, I mean, here's the deal. We're, we're trying to get to that even flip for damage so that we can cheat. And we're trying to win by oppressive fire. Suppressing fire. Um, so if you can get to cover, you're making it hard on us. All right. So good positioning, good play, some model abilities will give you pretty, reliant, pretty regular cover, and we've only got one model that shoots through cover. Um, if you can get to hard to wound as well, then you've got the, the worst part of cover, as far as the family is concerned, everywhere you go. Because we're going to be struggling to get to that even. And if we're not getting to even, we're hitting you for two damage.
1: Yep, that that makes a ton of sense. How about for you, Carl? What are some good what are some good counterplays or uh counter tech that someone can bring in to uh make your life harder harder other than hard to wound?
2: Um probably probably terror, uh actually. Huh, really? Yeah, because terrifying is just a a pain in the neck for a crew that is very rigid on resources um you know like jesse said you will assign the cards in your hand specific roles uh, on specific models and even though you know the majority of them have an above average willpower if you it's just that uh, additional flip where if you fail it you're then having the decision of to use your hand or if you pass it with a high card it just it steadily kills my soul when yep. <laughs> um, when you see that high card come up because you you, know, you automatically assign that to that was going to be on the attack that made this card in my hand not get used so the the resource is just lessening um, right so yeah uh, you yeah, know lots of lots of terrifying is and or you know card drain. Anything like that, anything that is just making um, your resources ever so slightly thinner is just um, painful. Well,
1: and that lines up with what Jesse was saying as far as second level playing resource management and just how critical it is to to manage your control hand. And if some mm-hmm. you have something like t- uh, terrifying, putting pressure on that control hand, um, I could see that as being very frustrating. Uh, so Jesse, one model we haven't talked about yet is Papa Loco. Um, one of my favorite models, just thematically and the look of it and everything. Does Papa ever make it back into family?
0: Uh, he does for me. He's a tech piece. Um, especially for bringing in to blow it to hell. My opponent declares Rasputina. You're gonna see Papa coming right at you. Um, also if they have a lot of shock waves, I might even consider him as a screener unit. In the same family as somebody like uh, Frank, I've actually swapped out Papa Loco, puts Papa Loco into Francisco's position, which is horrifying on paper, but had really good success with it, depending on the situation. Um, He is actually the tankiest member of the family. um, Because again, you can apparel into him and juggernaut in a pinch. You can use the bonus action. You can also Aperol and blow it to hell. So, you know, Rasputina's thrown up eight pillars. Yeah. You know, Papa Loco's activation plus, you know, somebody else's Operel; those pillars are gone, just all of them. And um, the reason I think he has value as a screener unit is once he's up in their team, you know, as the two lines approach each other, they can't afford to let him get past you because he's going to get into just surrounding your squishy models and no matter what, you, you, he's really hard to stop. Uh, without killing and if you kill him well that's winning for him too
1: <laughs> boom <laughs> so guys we're gonna take one more break when we get back from this break i want to talk to these gentlemen a little bit about what drives them nuts when they're online and having conversations about malafa we'll be right back Howdy friends, Greg here. Nothing makes Malifaux easier than having the right tools. Here at the third floor, we love all the licensed Malifo goodies from Custom Meeple. Not only are they helping support this podcast, they sell custom made weird licensed tokens and terrain. They sell it all. Crew boxes, terrain, markers, tokens, and even a 3x3 full Malifo board. Custom Meeple sells a complete M3E token set covering every marker and token you need to play. Custom Meeple are the source for the official accessories for Malifaux. Everything is designed by hand and authorized by Weird Games. Check them out at custommeeple.com. That's with one M. Or follow the link in the show notes. Up your Malifo game and be sure to tell them Craig from the Third Floor sent you. If you use the promo code Third Floor Friend, all one word, T-H-I-R-D-F-L-O-O-R-F-R-I-E-N-D, you'll get a 5% discount and help support the podcast. It's valid on everything except retail products and play mats. So, um, you know, part of the lock, what the lockdown has done is it, um, it's done good things. It's something we talked about at the very beginning where we talk about the cross meta play. Um, you know, a lot of people are playing online. The world's gotten surprisingly a little bit smaller um, as far as, you know, the different metas playing each other and things like that. Um I know uh, because of the local chat we have, that there's certain certain hot takes and certain uh, perspectives or certain uh, angles about discussing uh, Malifaux that can, uh, trigger different people. So I'd be curious to know, Carl, for you, if, if you see a conversation happening that has to deal with Malifo or has to deal with tabletop gaming, is there a certain perspective, um, a certain conversation, um, that really kind of grinds your gears?
2: I'm going to, uh, throw a couple here. can I have two? Because yes, there, you can have two. <laughs> there's, there's two things that absolutely, uh, yeah, really, really annoy me, um, drive me insane. So the first one is um like master tiers. And th- this is a this is a huge topic and people are obsessed with it in the sense that like people have to assign a master a tier. And you know, then you talk about S tier masters and um then who's A tier and who's crap. And it's like for me, um there are a few masters that are, you know, noticeably a bit worse. But at the same time, for me, it's it's kind of, do these masters have, um, you know, what I like to call kind of scratch for surface? So do they just take more investment from a player to get the most out of it? Um, so an example of this, um, and I was listening to um, the Patreon pod on Tuesday when Brian said, uh, he rated Reva as his probably his second pick um, in in uh, in Reza's. Well, the Reza chat will tell you that Reva is is awful, even after her, her um, buffs and even after being made slightly better. And it, it, to me, it sounds like Brian's done the work to um, to put in the effort to get Reva into a position where she is um, not only playable but also working really well and getting results from. him. So well, that's what bugs me with with um, Master Tears because... Well, I want to stay there for just a second, Carl. So um, I agree. Uh, that drives me
1: nuts too. And for several reasons. One, and this is particular to Malifaux, I think it's hard to to, to be definitive about Master Tears and Malifaux because of the variable wind conditions. The variable wind conditions make... Um, a master great some days and terrible in other days. The other part is the divide in balance between all of the keywords and masters is so tight and Malifaux. It's one of the things I love about Malifaux, Um that, that it makes it a very difficult conversation as well. Um, so I I'm with you on that, Carl. How about you, Jesse? Uh, you made a face when Carl mentioned uh, tiered masters.
0: Cause what I, I think, think he has seen me, he's seen my paragraph spiel on that. I think I actually remember him commenting on that once with a thumbs up like, yeah, that's what the guy said. Um, It frustrates me so much when people start that conversation. Um, And part of the frustration is – so my background, educational psychologist, I think about how people think and how they learn and things like that. That conversation is a great learning conversation. Give somebody a scenario and think about pros and cons and relative strengths of masters and what you would work with. Even if you don't have a perfect read on a master, that's a a great learning space. And so to that extent, I'm happy to see those conversations happen, but I always shoot them down because of part two. And part two is where somebody puts out a table and they're ranked from S to just throw it in the trash. And then there will be the people who look at that. And make all of their decisions by it. Not only that, they'll make their decisions by it, and then they'll come on some forum and they'll tell somebody who's lesser experienced or whatever yeah, don't bother with those three masters. They're on the bottom of the tier, even though that person themselves doesn't actually know.
1: Well, not only that, but how often is it that somebody who makes those tier lists has only played three of the seven masters they tiered? Then you have the secondary mistake, which you just talked about, Jesse, is the guy who read it, who hasn't played any of them yeah. and tells you, you know, <laughs> as as a definitive thing, because some dipshit on uh, Third Floor Wars said it. I know that this master's garbage because I heard it on Craig's stupid podcast. Um, uh, you know, I completely agree. Now, Carl, you hinted that you had a second thing that grinds your gears. What is that?
2: So this, um, I guess it, it derives from the T and Masters bit, but um, it's, and, and you both have kind of touched on it, it's this um, this idea of something is bad, don't play it. Like this, um, you know, whether it's a keyword or someone's specific list. Um, and like I said, Nalifo is so fluid and it's so um, variable that someone might find... Something works in a specific encounter um, against a specific opponent in a specific meta with its own specific playstyle. Like already there, there's numerous variables, and like I said, certain gems within the in within Malifaux crew selection or gameplay can be lost because people are saying, "Don't touch X with a barge pole," because. I've decided it's crap because <laughs> 10 guys said play why And, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, it might be that in a specific instance, that was the better master to play or that keyword or this specific model could have been better. Um, but you're looking at it with your perspective from your meta, from the way you play. Like me and Jesse have, you know, obviously built, similarities in this Pedita crew, but also differences because we play, you know, quite clearly a similar but slightly different game. So models get brought in that change it, but I'm not going to say Jesse's way is wrong and that he should only play my seven model Pedita crew. It's good that
0: you don't because you'd be clearly wrong in saying (laughs) (laughs)
2: that. But yeah, so, so it really, like I said, it really bugs me when you know, people don't look at the potential bigger picture. Um and also this kind of idea that um you know my opinion must be right because of XYZ and, and yeah it, it for me for the overall kind of growth of Malifaux, um you're just gonna miss out on like I said people finding great combos, people finding interesting ways of playing masters and also masters just not being used as much. Because yeah, you could say, oh, I'm going to play this person, and someone goes, oh, why? When this one's better, like all the time. Yep. Um, the only the only time that ever actually works is Colette, who's probably pound for pound best master in the game. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's an archivist. I mean, come on, <laughs> in blue. (laughs)
1: Now, Jesse, being a friend um, in real life um, with you, one of the things that I know is that, uh, and you mentioned it, you had to take a step back from social media. And I think part of that, if I understand correctly, was you being frustrated um, with some conversations happening on a weird place and things like that. So um, I really am anxious to hear for you, outside of what Carl's talked about, are are there conversations that just frustrate you when you see them?
0: You can only throw the phone across the room so many times before you give your cat anxiety. So, yeah, uh, it, it can be tough when you get super frustrated, as I do, um, with the same sort of things that we've been talking about. Of people just what I think of is truly not thinking. They're not stopping to actually think about it. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I've had to I, I do not go on a weird place sorry, we have tons of a weird place people on right now. And I know that's you know hosted by a lot of the people who are doing a lot of good work. I would, I would rage quit on a daily basis. I, I can't do it. Um, and so, yeah, I have to be really careful in how much I go into those social spaces and who I have extended conversations with because um, there are just norms of the internet where people just say things and they can't back them up. And when I try to engage with that and don't get a response back, that's super frustrating to me because I am super nerding out about this game. Um, I I don't like to say that that model is good. That model is bad. I like to say I like that model. Right. For this situation or for this answer. I like that. But it looks like you like that. OK, cool. Um, And, you know, I so I definitely gravitate towards people who are having similar types of conversations. And um, shy away from these days, those who don't. I just don't have time to be angry at people who are being dumb on the Internet.
1: Yeah. Yep. Um, I'm going to throw mine in real quick. Um, And it's one that uh, I've had for a long time. And actually, it's uh, something that Cody uh, Hyatt and I have in common. Um, and it's gotten, my annoyance with this has gotten even worse now that I've done the Insider Insight series here on the podcast. So I've now had a chance to talk to, you know, close to a dozen now, different game designers, um, from all over the world. And that is people who think they know how to design games and people who think they know how to fix games. Um, so this ties into what we're talking about. So what's the first part of the conversation is, you know, this is, this is garbage, right? Rev is garbage. Um, and here's how you fix her. Um, and what frustrates me about it is, um, the level of authority that this is often presented with. And the other part is it cheapens the, um, the quality and, uh, difficulty of the work that's being done by the professionals. Um, you know, I've talked to both Matt and Kyle several times both on the show and off the show. Um, and, uh, people don't, don't give them enough credit for the incredible amount of balance they brought to third edition. Um, with the what I think was really pretty good, darn, pretty darn good work in the first errata for this. Um, talking to Jamie Perkins, um, over from Steamforge Games, um, and you know, people um, just don't realize how difficult it is to design a game and to put it into play and if you've listened to the insider series you've learned that um balance is not the most important thing on their minds because it's not the most important thing to make a game good and make a game enjoyable but you talk to any competitive player and they'll tell you that that's the most important thing in game design period um is balance so um and Cody and I have had conversations about it as well. Um, and I think what the term Cody uses is somebody put everybody puts their designer hat on and it doesn't fit anybody. So um, that's my version of that. Um, Carl, it's good to have you back on the show, man. Um, always good to talk to you. And uh, Je- Jesse, at some point, I'll see you in real life again. Um, as soon as people start wearing masks, that'd be nice um, so that we can get through the other side of this. Um, so, Jesse, any uh, uh, plugs or call outs before we wrap up?
0: Uh, just, uh, to echo something I said earlier, thank you to everybody that is running an online league, um, that is working to try and keep this game going. And and what used to run in a live context is now trying to run almost entirely digitally. That's a lot of work guys. Um, and I am certainly not helping you in that because I have to step back, but I appreciate the folks that are putting in that work. So cheers to all the henches and hench substitutes, um, who are doing the work out there. Preach, preach. How about you, Carl?
2: Um, yeah, just, I guess, plug the, uh, the, the Vassal Super League, you know, it's coming up, it's, uh, it's on Facebook. Um, it is only for the UK people. I'm sorry for people who wanted to, um, you know, to attend who aren't UK, but for the time frame I kind of want to run it on. And, um, also for ease of arranging games, it, it's kind of going to be specific to us. Um, I also just kind of want to shout out, um, Vassal in general, I, you know, people who know me will know that I've given it a ton of shit um, because <laughs> I, I don't like it as much as real foe. And um, I am generally quite a sarcastic person in our, in our chats and yeah, I've given it a lot of, a lot of grief because, uh, you know, we call it like faux faux, you know, it's fake foe, nice. um, but yeah, you know, there are people who are doing a lot of things to, um, to make sure that it's it's keeping people busy and the events are being run, and that people are still getting the games in and new people are playing. Um, So yeah, you know, obviously like I said, the the UK league, but I also know that um, a couple of folks are trying to pull together to do a, like um, a worldwide master's event. Um, I don't know the full details yet because they're still trying to hash it out. But I think um, that's like Dan Brown schemes and stones, Kyle and A couple of others, um, and yeah, also obviously, we've you know just had uh, or we're in the latter stages of a vassal world cup. So, yeah. while it pains me to give vassal so much praise, um, <laughs> it, is an, it is an avenue for people to play. Um, if, if you can't, uh, play in real life, and also, um, I, I put a post up recently about it, but an appreciation to weird for actually, um, Supporting the Vassal World Cup with with prizes, you know, if you had no obligation to do that, Um, you know, it's not really to an extent uh, making the money, you know, it's it's probably a tough time for most mini companies. Um, So, yeah, if you didn't have to do that at all, and um, yeah, Weird Kelly was an absolute dream to just uh, keep me up to date with what was going. And then, yeah, just shout out to everyone playing, um, people making content, you know, keeping us. Uh, semi-sane in various <laughs> states of lockdown so
1: yeah i gotta i'm gonna back you up uh, on that 100 percent carl both uh both dan and steve have just d- done god's work when it comes to uh, uh vassal um and i'm much like you um probably worse than you carl um i don't enjoy playing on vassal um but uh, i am so glad it exists and i'm glad that people are finding it enjoyable um i will be very interested to see if we do another world cup type event um and uh, whoever's organizing that reach out to me i've um been having some conversations for another game about this type of thing and there's some interesting ideas that i came across so if you're interested in some uh, uh one more uh, cook in the uh, kitchen let me know um and i might be able to help with that but uh and to, to kelly at weird um and really the the whole crew over at weird um Uh, they everybody knows i'm a fanboy, but um what they did to make gen con happen and the way that they helped us help them um uh was incredible and kelly uh is one of the unsung heroes over there um as far as the public is concerned in the office she's well sung everybody knows how great she is Uh, but a lot of people outside of the weird office don't realize that um and for those of you listening that made it all the way to the end i appreciate it take care Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Twitch so you don't miss the avalanche of content we create. Links are in the show notes. Be sure to check out our shop on thirdfloorwars.com for the latest in gaming apparel and gear. There you'll also find the latest information for the U.S. Faux Tour. Find out where you rank in your conference or even in the entire United States. Get those models built, painted, and ready so we can see you at the next U.S. Faux Tour Masters event. Please take a moment to write a review of this pod on your favorite platform. Rating and reviewing helps us find more listeners almost as cool as you are. Be sure to share this feed with all of your friends who love tabletop gaming. Thanks for listening. Howdy folks, Craig here. Now if you love gadgets as much as we do, you're going to love the new Third Floor Wars Gadget Bundle from Schooner Labs. Branded with the logo of your favorite podcast, it comes with two measuring multi-tools, a compass stepper for those tight and important movements, along with a compact dashboard to track your turn, strat, and scheme scoring, along with your soul stones and pass tokens. It is the perfect bundle for anyone who plays Malifaux or just wants to look cool while doing it. The link is in the show notes. Check them out and help support your favorite gaming podcast.
0: Yeah, I know um, the internet widely disagrees with me on Fiona.
2: <laughs> it, it's it, it's an odd one because I, I don't, I, I never want to rely on a specific model um, mm-hmm. to be the hunchpin of a crew. And she, like I said, she doesn't always make it, but in the kind of the pools that I prefer Pedita in, um, mm-hmm. she, she's almost like a no-brainer because of our um, built-in durability and yeah, I I don't really understand the people who put. um, uh, I do to an extent, but you know the additional leadline coat um, or the additional armor on her. Sorry, if you put leadline coat on her, so she's armor too.
0: On fee? Um, Oh, yeah, yeah. no.
2: Because at that point, you're dissuading them from ever attacking her, and Mm. and that makes it um, more likely for them to attack the model you don't want them to attack, so Franco or Pedita. Whereas I would prefer Fiona to be the one who's getting attacked because she does have the hard to kill. You know, She does have the higher defenses. So she's mm-hmm. naturally more resilient. Um, so yeah, I don't want to ever turn them away from her as a valid target. Um, she's yeah. meant
0: to be the punching bag. Yeah, exactly. it It's like, she's here to be the one you focus and waste your AP on. And yeah. I don't want to just—I dissu- don't want to make it so hard to hit her or so hard to hit her meaningfully that they quit and then go after the soft targets. Cause...
2: Yeah, because that's yeah, it. If you know, they see point. Fiona, um, uh, yeah, defense six, armor two, and you just go, oh, I will hit Frank. And you're like, I <laughs> Never don't really don't want you to go there. <laughs> yeah.
1: All right, guys, I'll bring us back. Very good, gentlemen.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: All right. So, um, Carl, for this, uh, Jesse, you already know this. Uh, pick one, maybe two strategies at the most. Mm-hmm. Uh, keep in mind that she's not the only guild master. So, we need to not know that she's good in something. We need to know she's the one to go to. And when is that? So, when do you take Dita and not Lucius? When do you take Dita and not Nellie or not? Um, Uh, somebody else Uh, Sonia Uh, same thing with the schemes Um, what are schemes that um, just make you go you know what I think I'm going to bring family to the table does that make sense yep all right cool very efficient for 15 minutes gentlemen very nice all right Carl I'll start with you Mm -hmm. Um, let's talk about two models you always hire okay
0: Oof, tough yeah that's cool all right i'll try not to pick the same two
1: <laughs> uh it's okay if they are um I, I know there's can... one
0: model that i'm gonna give a shout out to but i think he's gonna pick it so let's see
2: okay it's well, not the steward, in... is it
1: and <laughs> and not we'll... the what
2: not the steward Ah, uh, no ah that's cool yeah i was gonna say frank and the steward so
1: cool hmm. good Watson now you likely know Carl as a prominent henchman out of the UK who's been doing some amazing work lately keeping Malifo alive by uh keep uh, doing try that again
0: we've left off a model and the comment about willpowers made me think of it what's that papa loco
1: oh um let me edit it in I'll tee up are you ready all right Uh, So Jesse, one model we haven't talked about yet is Papa Loco. Um, One of my favorite models, just thematically and the look of it and everything. Hey, are you still here? Look, uh, the podcast is over. And you sat through all of the breaks and bloopers? Well, I mean, if you're here might as well run over to patreon.com and become a supporter. Don't forget to rate and review this podcast too
0: while you're at it on whatever platform you're listening to. I do appreciate you sticking around. Take care.